That chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your pre-match and post-match spot this summer for DC United home games. Register at waltersdc.com slash events to get a free beer during pregame. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nineteen. I mean, the friends I made. I mean, all those guys, all the coaches, players that I take there. They just don't become friends and teammates. They they become family. We all came together as a family. Like I said, I mean, we finished the World Series and everything. And we're still in touch. We we all together. Feel like we're friends. We're family. You know, there's not one particular moment. That I, I just remember his first game here. I mean, it was impressive, right? Uh, the fact that you don't have to talk to him and just asking him what motivates him. And the, the first thing that came out of his mouth, you know, he said that he loved baseball. Two away here at the top of the first inning for Mackenzie Gore. And now here comes Juan Soto. Number 22, Juan Soto. are on their feet for Juan Soto's waving the crowd and they've turned the clock off. Good news. Juan Soto taking off his helmet and waving to everybody. First base side behind home plate, third base side into the outfield. Nicely done by the Nationals fans and home plate umpire Nestor Seha with the awareness to turn off the pitch clock. Well done on all fronts. The 1-1. Swinging a fly ball to straightaway center and deep. This ball is crushed. And it's long gone. 5-3 Padres. Home run number nine for Soto. Absolutely destroys it. Boy, out of sight into the, the area where they store the batting cage. They cleared the high wall and the stands in deep right center and simply out of sight. Wow. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, May 24th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the Nats and the San Diego Padres on Tuesday night played game one of a three-game series at Nationals Park. The two teams went a combined 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position in the game. The Nats in the game did overcome a 3-0 fifth inning deficit, but they did ultimately lose 7-4. That's now 20 and 28, just two games worse than the Padres, uh, who improved to 22 and 26. It, of course, is impossible for these two teams to play each other and not think about what happened last summer 
One of the biggest trades in Major League history, the Nats dealing Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the Padres for six players, including five prospects. And interestingly, two of the prospects who the Nats got in the Soto trade figured prominently into this game on Tuesday night, as did Soto himself. It remains too early to truly judge this trade, Mark, but uh, it was something to see Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, and Juan Soto all playing significant roles in this game on Tuesday night. Yeah, and I know that the outcome of the game ultimately was decided by some other people later on, but it still felt to me like the story of this game was those three players from the trade because they did all have an impact. And in the case of Mackenzie Gore, the first time facing the Padres, the other two had faced each other last year. This was a big start for Mackenzie. It did not go especially well for him, and that was disappointing. It looked like C.J. Abrams was actually going to help bail him out with a big-time home run, the latest in several of these that he's had. But at the end of the night, you're left with the following conclusion. Juan Soto is still a really, really good hitter, whether he's playing for the Nationals, whether he's playing for the Padres, and he came through the most and in the biggest spots to lead his team to victory. This episode of the Nat Chat Podcast is brought to you by Votes for Women, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Soto and how he's doing with the Padres and, you know, underwhelming numbers. And, you know, I think a lot of this kind of depends on what you look at. I mean, Juan Soto had a big game on Tuesday night. He got on base four times. He went three for four with a mammoth solo homer, two singles and a walk. His OPS for this season is 905. I mean, for all of the talk about, hey, he's off and his batting average isn't great and, you know, yada, 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 as the phrase goes. I mean, his OPS is above 900, okay? He leads the majors in walks. He is one of the top on base percentages in the sport. Like, he is still Juan Soto. He is still quite good. Yes, he is. And uh, I had the exact same thought. I mean, this was, if I asked you, give me the quintessential Juan Soto game. This is pretty close to it. Homered, couple singles, a walk. Maybe you'd swap out one of the singles for another walk would be the only other thing that you would say to it. This was pretty close to it. And they were meaningful hits, especially the home run came at a huge point in the game for them. So yeah, I understand that he may not be performing quite to his absolute peak MVP caliber level, but after a slow start, he has started hitting here in the last several weeks. And overall, I mean, the guy I watched in this game looked very much like the Juan Soto who played here for four and a half years, the best version of him. I'm sure that it meant a lot to him to be playing back here. You could see, listening to him pregame in the clubhouse, and then the way he reacted to the fans when he came up to bat the first inning, this still means something to him to come back here. And unlike Mackenzie Gore, I think he channeled that emotion in a positive way to really help him perform on the big stage in this game. You can follow us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. We put out a poll on Tuesday. The question, who would you rather have on the 2023 Nationals, Juan Soto or Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams? And, you know, like we said, it's too early to judge this trade. 54.5% of you, as of this moment in the polling, uh, and this is based on over 1,000 votes, we've gotten a big response to this. 54.5% of you said Gore and Abrams. Remember, it's Gore and Abrams and uh, three other prospects to be thinking about here. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're a Nats fan, for now, and there's so much to think about with the Soto trade, right? But for now, I think you actually can say, you know, I think I'd rather have made the trade than not have made the trade. But Soto is still quite good. 
And it's to be determined. I mean, three years from now, we could look at this trade as being very one-sided, either in the Nats' favor or against the Nats' favor. So we just don't know. But it is a fascinating thing. And it's going to take a while. You know, I think we've gotten to this point with Bryce Harper to where when the Phillies play the Nats now, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, you notice Harper, of course, but like you're not overwhelmed by his presence in an opposing team's uniform. I think it's going to take some time with Soto. Yeah, I agree. Part of it, they only come here once a year versus the division teams that come here more. It was so strange last year. I mean, I was reliving it and and rereading some of the stuff. He was back here 10 days after the trade deadline. It was such a bizarre quirk of the scheduling that that happened. So in a weird way, this almost felt like his first trip back because you usually think of it being the next season or having more time to process it than we did last summer. I think for Juan himself, this did mean something. He was showing the emotion. You saw the fans. I mean, that was a pretty sustained ovation from a crowd of 21,000. And Juan immediately took off his helmet and doffed it to the crowd, almost like he went into it already expecting and knowing that was going to be the case. I don't think he was surprised at all by the reaction to it. And I'm thinking back to the other guys who have come back, Scherzer, Turner, Harper, certainly it's different than Harper. I think Soto has gotten the best receptions of any of them, and I think it'll always be that way, and that's because of who he is, because of what stage of his career he was at when he arrived here, what he did for them in winning the World Series. And I think no matter how this all plays out in the long run, I think Nats fans are always going to feel something special for him. And maybe he's not going to get a standing ovation every year he comes back, but I think it's always going to be warm applause, and I don't think you're ever going to hear boos from more than a handful of fans when he comes back to play in D.C. No, and I don't think you should. I don't think there's any legitimate reason to boo him other than, you know, like if you're in a playoff series against him or something like that. And even then, like there's a respect for him. I mean, how do you not respect him? But yeah, as for the guys who actually are still on the Nationals. So Mackenzie Gore, he's kind of in a weird place right now. He, for a third consecutive outing, had some issues here. So Gore on Tuesday night, three runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up Seven hits, two home runs, a double, and four singles. He issued four walks. He recorded five strikeouts. And he, over the four and two-thirds innings, threw a whopping 103 pitches. 60 strikes versus 43 balls. If all of this sounds familiar, well, this was a second time in three starts that Gore threw an overwhelming number of pitches. If you go back to the Nats' 3-2 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on May 12th, Gore in that game did throw four shutout innings. So, you know, he did not allow three runs in four and two-thirds innings as he did on Tuesday night. But Gore in that May 12th game, an astounding 96 pitches over the four shutout innings. And then sandwiched in between those two starts was the 4-3 loss at the Miami Marlins last Wednesday evening, May 17th. Gore in that game, four runs in five and a third innings. Now, he in that game did have seven strikeouts. He in that game did throw a lot of strikes, 60 strikes versus 33 balls. But like I said, a third consecutive start here for Mackenzie Gore in which some things were off. I mean, clearly the number of pitches is not what you're looking for. And um, he's not at his best here lately. I mean, the Gore who we saw a few weeks ago, who was really pitching well, we haven't seen here lately. Yeah. I think back to the start in Arizona when he finished really strong in the sixth and he had nine strikeouts total in the game. That was kind of the best version of him also when he faced the Mets in New York. What we've seen the last couple times, not so much. And it's just very erratic, really having trouble finding the strike zone with consistency. A lot of the misses in this game were to the same side of the plate. 
And the thing that stood out to me, and I was not surprised by this, and I think Davey Martinez was not surprised by this. He was amped up for this game, facing his former team. His first strikeout came on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, the hardest pitch he's thrown in the big leagues. And he was consistently up there at 97, 98 through a lot of the night. That's not necessarily a good thing, especially if you're not commanding it very well. And so I think he's a high-emotion guy. He pitches with emotion. That can work to his benefit at times, but it can also be a detriment. And I think in this case, it was a detriment. He's got to learn how to calm himself down, how to, especially when things start to go awry, figure out what's working, what's not working, how to get the ball in the vicinity of the strike zone and cut down on the pitch count. Even if he's having success, and he did have some success in this game, you can't make it in this league for long throwing 100 plus pitches in fewer than five innings. So that's something he's got to cut down on. But again, he's young. This is his first real big league season. You see the obvious potential there, and there's a lot of things to be excited about, but you also have to understand there are going to be growing pains along the way, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and he doesn't get shellacked. I mean, when he's off, it's off to the tune of like what we saw on Tuesday night, you know, three runs, four and two-thirds innings. Top of the first, he did allow two runs. He actually retired the first two batters he faced, but he then gave up a two-out first pitch single by, yes, Juan Soto up the middle, and then gave up a two-out full count opposite field two-run homer by Xander Bogarts to right field for a 2-0 Padres lead. And then Gore issued a two-out full count walk at Jake Cronenworth and then gave up a two-out single by, oh, by the way, another ex-national on the Padres, Nelson Cruz, through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. Although Cruz then got picked off at first base. Now the pitch high. Pickoff play on at first. They may get him. He's out on the back pick. Smith in behind Nelson Cruz. Gets picked off by his former teammate. Catcher Cabert Ruiz with his second pickoff of the season. And then Gore in the top of the fourth. A ladder run on a leadoff first pitch. Opposite field home run by Brandon Dixon to right center for a 3-0 Padres lead. That first inning really, though, set the tone. And, you know, it's one thing to give up the two runs after getting the two outs, but then you issue a walk, you give up another single, and it's like right away you're in this, like, pitch deficit. You know, like right away he's got a really high pitch count through one inning, and you're right back to where you had been in these recent outings. And that just did not set a proper tone for this game for Mackenzie Gore. Right. He's at 32 pitches after the first inning. And the only reason he got out of it was because of the play of Caber Ruiz. And by the way, if there's anybody who should not be getting backpicked by Caber Ruiz, Nelson Cruz should know better than that. I know the reflexes aren't what they used to be, Nelson, but come on, you can't let that happen. He bailed them out of that inning because that could have kept going on. And Gore could really have been in trouble if that inning was prolonged. So yes, that set a bad tone. I thought the home run was not necessarily a bad pitch and Bogarts did a nice job of driving it to the opposite field with some power that you don't often see from right-handed hitters uh, in this ballpark. But he just never totally found it. And like I said, the velocity was up and it's good at times, but I, it felt to me, my untrained eye watching from 500 feet up in the sky, like he was overthrowing, like he was trying too hard to overpower this team, knowing the stakes, knowing the importance of this game. And everyone will tell you that's the wrong way to go about it. You have the stuff throw it loose and natural and free 
it will take care of itself. They're not going to hit you if you locate it well, no matter if you're throwing 97 or 99. If you go by the StatCast data, Gore on Tuesday night topped out at 98.8 miles per hour. His average four-seam fastball velocity was 95.9 miles per hour. So his numbers now for this season, 10 starts, an ERA of 388. So that earned run average is creeping up toward four. The whip now is at 153. That is a high whip. You want that to come down. The strikeouts per nine innings remain impressive, 11.12, but he's averaging 19.06 pitches per inning. And, you know, we presume with Mackenzie Gore, there is a workload limit to his season. What exactly it is, we don't know. How exactly it is defined, we don't know. But, you know, I always think it makes more sense to define a workload limit by pitches, not so much innings, because, you know, an inning can be done in five pitches or, you know, 30 pitches. Like, it depends on the nature of the inning. So my point is this, him having these outings in which he's throwing all of these pitches probably doesn't do him any favors when it comes to the workload. Again, we don't know what exactly the workload is, but that is something I've thought about with Gore. Like at some point, this is going to be a conversation of like, when might his season be shut down? The problem is he's using that all up right now. And those are pitches that maybe later in the year, he's not still going to have at his disposal. They are definitely keeping track of these things. You may even see, I don't know if it'll be the next start or some point here, you might even see them purposely back off and say, okay, we're holding you to 85 pitches tonight or something like that. Or even if you're going well, we may pull you after five because you need a little bit of a break. Some of it has to do with days off. If he's got an extra day of rest between starts or not, they'll monitor those kinds of things. They could also, remember they did this with Josiah Gray last year. I think they skipped a start at one point. So if you have an off day and you can use that to your advantage, they could do things like that. I don't think they're worried about him physically right now, but that is the kind of thing that will catch up with you eventually. And speaking of physically, he had this weird moment in the game, by the way, where he kind of tripped and he said he twisted his ankle and it looked bad for a split second. He said, whatever it was, it didn't last he didn't even have to throw a warm-up pitch. The trainer came out, Davey came out, but he convinced him right away that he was fine. It did not seem to affect him at all the rest of the way. And I was told he didn't even get treatment on it afterwards. So that was all fine. But there was just a very brief scare there that where you don't know exactly what happened. You thought, oh God, after all this, did he just get hurt as well? Another interesting statistical thing with Gore, very high Babbitt on the year. The batting average on balls in play allowed is at 352. 300 more or less is league average when you're way above that, that usually is indicative of some bad luck. So hopefully that Babbitt comes down and maybe the pitch count starts to come down as well for Gore. This episode of Nats Chat is sponsored by VotesForWomen.com, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle's mission is to create fun and easy-to-learn board games for a wide range of ages. Votes for Women is a board game that lets players relive the fight to ratify the 19th Amendment. Perfect for those in D.C. that love history and want to learn more about it. Designed by Nationals fan and D.C. resident Tory Brown and published by Nats Chat superfan Kevin Bertram. Order from www.votesforwomen.com. That's votesforwomen.com. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years and 
Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. But act soon because this deal does expire at the end of the month. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But don't forget, this deal does expire at the end of the month. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Here's a swing and a drive to deep right field. Way back, going, going, gone, goodbye. A two-run homer for C.J. Abrams. As he turns around, a slider from you, Darvish. It's his fifth home run of the year. And the Nationals are back in the game. It's a one-run game now. San Diego three, Washington two. Well, I mentioned C.J. Abrams. A home run for C.J. on Tuesday night. It was great to see that. Abrams, one for four with a two-run homer. He in the Nationals, three-run fifth. A two-out, two-run homer to the second deck in right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-2. And then the Nats' very next batter, 
Lane Thomas, he homered. Yes, the Lane Train homered again in this game. A two-out game-tying solo home run to left field on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at three. Thomas on Tuesday night, two for four with the solo homer and an infield single. Man, is Lane Thomas locked in. He now, for this month of May, has seven home runs. He is really hot right now, but good to see him homer again. And obviously, C.J. Abrams, you know, he doesn't look like he has a lot of might in his swing, but he can show off some might in his swings, and he certainly did that in this game. We've talked about it before. There is a little bit of a similarity to Trey Turner. When he first came up, this little bean pole looked like a teenager, but you could see that when he gets a hold of one, he can really do it, and that's what C.J. seems to have as well. It's just a matter of swinging at the right pitches. You know, he struck out in his first at bat against you, Darvish, but I thought it was a good quality at bat. I think it was eight pitches before he finally struck out. And so when he came back the next time up and homeward, it, it wasn't a shock necessarily. That was his only hit of the game, but he seemed to have some quality at bats along the way. That energized the crowd. Certainly Lane Thomas moments later, tying the game also energized the crowd. They didn't really have anything going against Darvish most of the first two trips through the lineup. And it looked like the kind of game that they might just go quiet the entire night. So props to those two guys for coming up in big spots and changing the narrative of the game, at least momentarily, until the Padres got it back the following inning. But bigger picture, it's really nice to see C.J. Abrams. All of his home runs now have been in the fifth inning or later, most of them meaningful, either to tie the game or get them back in the game or give them the lead. And Lane Thomas, if he can just find a way to bottle up what he's done this month and sustain it to any level, that's huge for him. He knows that's the key, consistency. He struggled somewhat in April. He's been great in May. He's got to find a way to keep that going, what he's doing right now. He is the only Nationals player who, for this season, has an OPS over 800 in terms of qualified Nats. He's the only guy, 808 OPS. Everyone else has an OPS below 800, and uh, most guys have OPSs below 700. Uh, in terms of the Nats, other run in this game, Joey Manessis, he in a Nationals one-run eighth, a two-out opposite field RBI double to the right center field gap on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats' deficit to 7-4. Dominic Smith and Luis Garcia each went two for four with two singles in this game. But Mark mentioned, or at least alluded to, the Nationals' bullpen in this game on Tuesday night. There were some problems here. So you had Andres Machado, Erasmo Ramirez, Mason Thompson, and Chad Cool pitching out of the Nats' bullpen in this game. Machado was good in his brief time in the game. He faced just one batter. The result was a strikeout of Matt Carpenter with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats down 3 nothing in the top of the fifth. But then we had the Erasmo Ramirez experience, and uh, Ola Erasmo was a mess in this game. Four runs recorded just three outs. He, in a three-run Padre seventh, gave up two home runs, a leadoff homer, by yes, Juan Soto on a bomb to center field, a projected 441-foot blast for StatCast. And Erasmo gave up a two-run homer by Jay Cronenworth to right to put the Padres up 7-3. Nats battled back from being down 3-0, tied the game at 3, and then you had Erasmo giving up the four runs. Then you had Mason Thompson, so he relieved Erasmo Ramirez after the Nats went down 7-3. Thompson didn't give up a run. He faced five batters. He got three outs without allowing a run, and he did generate two strikeouts, but I don't know. To me, it was not impressive. He issued back-to-back one-out walks. He issued a two-out wild pitch. He, in the inning, threw 25 pitches, just 12 strikes versus 13 balls. And then Chad Cool actually was all right. He was effective. Two scoreless innings uh, in his first game since coming off the 15-day injured list. 
But it was, I thought, indicative that with the game, you know, close, with the game still relatively in the balance, Davey Martinez went to Rosmo Ramirez and not Mason Thompson. And it didn't work out going to Rosmo, but that was pretty suggestive of where Davey is viewing Mason right now. Right. And I think everything about the usage of the bullpen in those innings there was very telling about the state of things. Let's start with Machado coming in to relieve Gore, finishing the inning, getting out of it with the strikeout, five pitches, and then does not come back for the sixth. I asked Davey about that. He said, the workload Machado has had recently said to him, I'm not going to use him multiple innings in this case. He did a great job, got out of it, but I'm going to move on to somebody else in the sixth. Now, it's a tie game at this point, and just a few weeks ago, that was Mason Thompson's inning from the get-go. He was the guy he trusted in that spot, but we have seen now over several weeks, Thompson is not the same guy. He, like you said, no runs allowed in this one, but he still threw, I think, more balls and strikes. Yeah, 13 balls, 12 strikes. He walked a couple. It's clear that Davey is not trusting him in the high leverage spot. So who's left when you're still only in the sixth inning at this point? And that's why he goes with Erasmo Ramirez, who for the most part during his time here has not been a high leverage guy. He's been a valuable guy pitching in a lot of different roles, but high leverage Erasmo Ramirez is not really the guy that they want or the guy they usually use. But I think that shows where they are at the moment of who they trust and who they don't. And so now he's in the game, did not go well for him. By the time that falls apart, you go to Thompson and then Cool is now mopping it up. So I am concerned and I get to a point here that I'm thinking to myself, if you can't trust Mason Thompson in these spots, then do you need to send him down and let him try to figure this thing out? Now, there were some positive developments. David was kind of encouraged by a little bit better from him in this one, but it's a tough thing to do to keep a guy in a major league bullpen when he needs to work out issues, especially so when you have others in your bullpen that you don't trust, like Thad Ward is a rule five pick, you're not going to use in big spots too. So I wonder if Thompson doesn't get this together fairly soon, if they might need to consider something just to go give him a chance to work on things in a lower pressure situation because you're not trusting him in high leverage spots right now. Yeah. I don't know who you have great trust in with this bullpen right now. I mean, you'd say the most trust should be given to Hunter Harvey, but of course, it wasn't that long ago that he had a bad blow up and a blown save. So yeah, it's tough right now. I mean, Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., Erasmo Ramirez, Andres Machado, they have all proven to be mortal at various points here in recent weeks, some more than others, okay? Uh, and you figure, all right, like Edwards has been better lately, so maybe he's back on track. We'll see. But it's not great right now where the Nats are at with these relievers. And while the starting pitching overall, I think, has been better than people expected, you know, we're not seeing starters routinely go deep into games. Like it is for the most part, five, six innings. Occasionally you get that seven inning outing. But especially when you get a game like this one, you know, Mackenzie Gore giving you four and two thirds and you have to lean on the bullpen. And, you know, now the Nats are back in a stretch in which they're not going to have a scheduled off day until a week from Thursday. You know, you have to lean on someone out of the bullpen. Like you have to almost force trust. It's an unenviable position that Davey is in. It's funny. I mean, I know Davey takes a lot of heat for the bullpen management, and he certainly is not perfect, but it's not easy. And this bullpen is not some lights out bullpen. So I'm not sure what you're supposed to do with these guys. Right. And you can say, okay, well, Machado was good. So let's send him back out for another inning, but maybe you lose him for a few days down the road. So that doesn't necessarily 
help. Yeah, they are so much better when they get six innings from their starter than five. <laughs> it sounds easy to say. Well, obviously, of course they do. But I think it's pretty telling right now that they are. If you get through six and you have a lead or it's a close game, you can at least say, okay, I'm going in some order, Edwards, Finnegan, and Harvey, and close it out with them. And those are the guys you trust the most. They may not get it done all the time, but they're the ones you trust the most. When you need somebody for the sixth, that's where it starts to get more complicated. And I think we're seeing that. Now, there's another moment here we haven't talked about yet, and that's the sixth inning when Ramirez gives up a run that I'm not sure he deserved to give up. The sacrifice fly. Here it comes. Swinging a fly ball, shallow right. Out goes Garcia. Moving in is Thomas. He'll make the catch. Runner tags. He's coming home. Thomas's throw is cut off. It's cut off by Smith. And the Padres take the lead. This was one of the more, like, did that really just happen kind of plays that you've seen in a while. One out, first and third, pop up to shallow right field. Lane Thomas comes charging in, makes the catch, and fires the ball at the plate. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, they've got him, or at least it's going to be really close. They've got a good shot at him. And Dominic Smith cuts it off for no apparent reason and then didn't really – he just froze. He didn't do anything. And the explanation afterwards from Davey was that he thought – I didn't talk to him about it yet. What I assume is that he saw the guy take off at first base and thought he could cut and and get that guy out, not not knowing that hey, we had – I thought he would have been out at home. I mean, the throw was good. He had good carry. But I think the runner going right away from first kind of messed him up a little bit. But he didn't even attempt to throw. He just held on to the ball. And the stare that Lane Thomas gave Dom Smith was pretty telling. The look that Smith and Cabert Ruiz at the plate had with each other was pretty telling. I know other things happened, and maybe that ultimately didn't decide the game. But in the moment, that felt really significant. And that was not a good play by Dom Smith. It was not, especially considering that Dom is known for his glove, right? I mean, as a first baseman, he's not exactly killing it offensively here this season. So he needs to excel defensively at the very least at first base. And, you know, he's done a pretty good job this season. But uh, yeah, that was an odd moment. And, you know, Lane Thomas, I mean, his arm is a weapon in right field. We have seen that throughout this year. And so when you yourself mitigate your own weapon like that, that is tough. But ultimately, it ended up not mattering a ton with what happened with the Nationals bullpen. Well, there was some Nats news on Tuesday. Some promotions in the minors. Cole Henry, he is being bumped up from low A Fredericksburg to high A Wilmington in his rehab from thoracic outlet syndrome. There have been so many bad, negative depressing moments if you're a Nationals fan in recent years. One of the more underrated ones was this news last summer that Cole Henry, who was rising with a bullet through the Nats farm system, needed surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. I mean, the Nats, this was like the last thing that they needed off what happened with Steven Strasburg and also remember what happened with Will Harris, each guy needing surgery for TOS. Well, Cole Henry underwent his TOS surgery last August 28th. But he is on the mend here, and Cole Henry did very well over two starts for low A Fredericksburg, seven scoreless innings, 11 strikeouts versus no walks. He's being bumped up to high A Wilmington. Look, you don't know with guys in trying to come back from thoracic outlet syndrome, and TOS seems to ruin more careers than careers seem to rebound from TOS. But that said, the difference, of course, between a Cole Henry and a Strasburg or a Will Harris is that Cole Henry is young. This is only his age 23 season. The Nats took him in the second round of the 2020 MLB draft out of LSU. You know, we don't know what's going to come of this recovery, but this is encouraging that at least so far, and it's a limited sample size, I'll grant you that, but 
He's looked pretty good. I mean, Strasburg at no point in his recovery from TOS has ever really looked good. It's never felt good. With Henry, maybe possibly there's some hope here that this guy can have himself a legitimate career. Yeah. And the difference there and the thinking from my understanding with Cole Henry was that he sort of had this done preemptively. Not to say that he you know, volunteered to have a surgery that wasn't necessary, but he didn't wait as like a last resort while well, we tried everything else. This was kind of a, hey, let's try to get ahead of the curve, take care of this. It's not the exact same surgery that Strasburg had. There are different versions of this. It's sort of a generic term for this thing. But the idea was take care of it now before anything gets to the point that it really has career altering ramifications for you. He was very encouraged the spring coming back and throwing again. And the feeling was, yeah, once he's out there ready to go on the mound, that he should be fine. So far, so good. It's at the lower levels of the minors, which, you know, he was already at the upper levels at AAA last year when this all happened. So the first step is to show that you're healthy and can pitch every five days and have no issues. He's there right now. Now the next step is have success consistently, do it at each level, get back up to AAA again. I don't know that he would be in their plans this season necessarily. I know he was seemed like he was close last year before this all happened, but given what he just went through, they're going to be awfully careful with him. And I don't, I don't know what kind of workload limit he's on this year, but I, I can't imagine it's that high. So my hunch would be they just want him to get through this season healthy, start every fifth day until they decide it's enough, and then come next year, let's talk about him again as one of their pitching prospects. But it's certainly encouraging to see that because this is not the kind of thing that we typically, that typically have had happy endings for the Nationals. And so far, this is at least headed down a positive path. Yeah, Cole Henry, at the time of this news that he needed the surgery, was the Nats' number six prospect for MLB Pipeline. And like I said, he had really been ascending. I mean, the Nats, last June 2nd, promoted him from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. He had been dominant for Harrisburg. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. And then there is what is going on with this catcher, Drew Melis. The Nats AA affiliate, the Harrisburg Senators, they on Tuesday afternoon officially announced that Drew Melis has been promoted to AAA Rochester. Drew Melis is a guy who the Nats got via their 2021 fire sale. He was acquired by the Nats in their trading of Jan Gomes, Josh Harrison, and cash considerations. Don't forget the cash considerations to the Oakland A's on July 30th, 2021. Drew Melis was not some like highly touted prospect. He, at the time of that trade, was ranked as the Athletics' number 28 prospect per MLB pipeline. They took him in the seventh round of the 2019 MLB draft out of Missouri State. But Drew Melis is hitting. Now, he is an older prospect, age 25 season, but he this season for AA Harrisburg, 99 plate appearances and OPS of 991. We know that the Nats have a catcher of the now and a catcher of the future, and Cape at Ruiz just signed him to an eight-year contract extension. And like I said, Milis is an older prospect. But what do the Nats think they might have in this guy? The funny thing is, is that his reputation has been more as a defensive catcher than an offensive one. So I have no reason to believe he hasn't been doing good behind the plate as well. But if he's hitting like this, that is going to open some eyes. And that's why he got the promotion up to double A. But we just talked the other day about what a great job Riley Adams has done in such limited playing time. Because remember a year ago, they sent Adams down at one point when he was struggling and brought up Tres Pereira, who's no longer here, he's with the Cardinals. You also have Israel Pineda, who is recovering from injury and ready to go on a rehab assignment finally himself. We saw him at the end of last year. So there is some catching depth in the organization at the moment. I don't think any of this changes 
the long-term vision of Kaber Ruiz as their guy. But it is nice to know that you've got some other options in theory if anything happened to Ruiz or if ultimately Adams wasn't consistent enough in the backup role that you could call somebody else up. We'll see. You want to see this guy now have success at AAA as well. But for someone who the thought is, hey, he could end up being a pretty good defensive catcher in the big leagues someday, if he can hit as well, that's a huge bonus for them. And it's been nice to see. Yeah. And when you look back at that 2021 portion of the fire sale, right? I mean, it was headlined by Josiah Gray and K. Bear Ruiz. But, you know, here we are now, almost two years removed from it. Lane Thomas came from that fire sale. This guy, Drew Milis, came from that fire sale. We'll see what happens with Mason Thompson, but he came from that fire sale. Riley Adams. Riley Adams came from that fire sale. Yeah. So, you know, again, a ways to go. And we'll see ultimately how we look back upon these trades. But, you know, maybe possibly these things are going to work out in the kind of way that we wanted them to work out. So good to see that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website. Check that out, NatsChatPodcast.com. You can listen to previous installments of the show. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that website is NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit Tim Newmark. Com. A thank you to our sponsor for this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, Votes for Women, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The 1-0. Swing a fly ball, well hit to left field. Way back goes this one. It's got a chance. It's going, going, and long gone up onto the railroad tracks. Welcome to the World Series, Juan Soto. Nationals tie the game at two as Juan Soto goes opposite field for a tape measure home run onto the railroad tracks. That is Soto's third home run this postseason, and it's a brand new game. The Nationals two and the Astros two. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.